Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV, and I'm glad you can join us. We are starting a brand new message series called Bible Stories, where we're going to take a look at some of the most well-known stories in the Bible and see what God has to show us through them. Now, these stories are in kids' curriculum all the time. Stories like David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, Jonah and the big fish. And we're going to look at some other stories as well that are very well known. But these stories are not meant to just be in the kids' curriculum. God has placed these stories in the Bible. And we are going to take a look at what he wants to show us through them. Stories are important. You know, when we talk about stories, it reveals a lot about us. This last week, my son JB, he started calling other men bro. And it's something that I do. I think he's picked up on it from me. It's pretty cute. A friend was picking up our kids the other day. And JB said, I like to call him bro sometimes. And then he stuck out his fist for knuckles. And then they, they did knuckles. He said, bro power. So it, it, that's a cute story. But you find out some things about me from that. One, you find out I have a son that's three. He's almost four. You also find out that I call people bro sometimes. And then you find out that my kids are really important to me because I shared that story and it shows that we, we talk about the things that are important to us. So from that just short little story, you find out some things and stories are an important part of communication. And the stories that we're looking at in this message series, they're stories that God put into his perfect wor word the Bible. He thought them to be so important that they are in the infallible word of God forever. And so we're going to use 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's going to be a, a guide for us to look at these stories and see what is God trying to teach us through them. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we're going to look at these stories that God placed in the, the word of God, they, they, he placed in the Bible, and we're going to ask, what's God trying to teach us? What's God maybe rebuking us? Maybe we're out of line and he's showing us that we need to, we need to get back in line, or maybe there's just a course correction God's trying to, to correct uh, for us, or maybe he's trying to train us in righteousness somehow, and he's he's getting us ready for a good work that's coming up that we don't know about yet. And so the first story that we're going to look at is going to be the story of Joseph. This is one of my favorites, and this is the historical account of what happened to Joseph throughout his life. It's all kinds of twists and turns in this story. And I'm looking forward to looking at it with you. They actually, they, they've made a Broadway musical based off of this called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. So let's dive into this incredible story. Now on the handout, I have several points that you could use to follow along. We're going to be moving through the story quickly. And then we're going to be taking some time to look, what does God want us to learn from the story of Joseph? So this, the story starts out, Genesis 
37 through 50. And it starts out as Joseph is the son of Jacob. Jacob was renamed by God to be Israel. This is the nation of Israel comes out of Jacob's lineage. And so Joseph is one of his sons. And he's not just one of his sons. Joseph is the favorite son. And Jacob gave him a colorful robe. Now, when his brothers saw that that their father loved him the most, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. It's what it says in Genesis 37, 4. And so what happens next is really interesting. Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, all his family is bowing down to him. But Joseph doesn't keep that dream to himself. He shares it with his brothers. That, hey, I had this dream and the whole family is bowing down to me. You can imagine that didn't go over well with the brothers who already hated him for being the father's favorite son. So what happens next is Joseph's brothers plan to kill him. But instead of killing him, they end up selling him into slavery. And this is just quite the story so far. Joseph's living the dream. He's the, the favorite son of the family. He's got the awesome robe. And then now he finds himself heading to Egypt as a slave. And when he gets to Egypt, he is bought by Potiphar, which is one of Pharaoh's officials. And the Lord was with Joseph. And Potiphar puts him in charge of everything he owns. At this point, Joseph's got to be thinking, all right, I've got my life back on track. God is with me. He's helping me. And I've risen up to be head over the whole household. Well, what happens next? Another twist. Another turn. Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce Joseph to sleep with him. But he refuses. Joseph literally ran out of the house and Potiphar's wife had his cloak when he ran out of the house. And so what she decides to do is to wait for Potiphar to come home and she accuses Joseph of trying to sleep with her. Well, Potiphar's furious and he throws Joseph into prison, but he doesn't just throw him into prison anywhere. He throws him into prison with the king's prisoners after these claims that Potiphar's wife had made against him. Now, as I think of, of Joseph in this moment in the, in the, his life, he has got to be discouraged from his father's favorite son to slavery, to rising up as a, as a slave, to be head over the whole household, to be thrown into jail. These aren't consequences for bad choices. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have shared the dream with his brothers. Probably not a good idea. Your brothers already hate you to say, hey, you're you're bowing down to me in a dream. But that didn't mean he deserved to die or get get sold as as a slave. He keeps choosing to do right. He gets thrown, sold to Egypt as a slave and he's faithful and he rises up. He gets seduced by Potiphar's wife and he runs away. He doesn't give in to the sexual temptation. He gets thrown in jail. I don't know what Joseph's conversations with God was at this point, but I know I would be discouraged and asking questions. God, what are you doing? What, 
what is going on right now? I keep trying to do right, and this trouble keeps following me. Why are you rewarding my faithfulness with this trouble? Maybe you find yourself in the middle of some tough circumstances in life right now, and you're asking God these questions. Well, I hope that the ending to Joseph's story is encouraging to you, as it is to me. The Bible says that sometime later, after Joseph's thrown into prison with the king's prisoners, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker are thrown into prison with him. And they have some dreams. And Joseph is able to interpret those dreams, and they come true. Now, the cupbearer forgets all about Joseph. But then Pharaoh has a dream a couple years later. And look what it says here in Genesis 1 through, uh, 41, 1 through 4. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed on in the reed uh, grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Pharaoh is wondering, what does this dream mean? So he calls all the magicians. He calls all the wise men in Egypt. Nobody can interpret, interpret this dream for him. That's when the cupbearer remembers Joseph and how he had interpreted the dream for him while he was in prison. Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph tells Pharaoh, I I can't interpret the dream for you, but God can. And God uses Joseph to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. He says what the dream means is there's going to be seven years of abundance. Then it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. So, Joseph interprets this dream, and Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of Egypt, of all of Egypt. He's the second in command. He is the one who will be making all the decision. Well, Joseph leads Egypt to store up huge quantities of grain in the years of abundance so that they are prepared for the years of famine. And the years of famine come, and there's famine in Egypt, and it spreads throughout the world. And Joseph's family is hit by the famine in Canaan, where they were. Well, they hear about Egypt's abundance, and they, the brothers, travel to Egypt to buy some grain from Egypt. Well, Joseph recognizes his brothers as they come to buy grain from him, but they don't recognize him. There's some back and forth that goes on before Joseph is ready to reveal himself to his brothers. But then Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And look what he says to them. Joseph, uh, Genesis 45, 5-8 says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you 
a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This gives us a glimpse of Joseph's perspective. His eyes were not on the wrongs that were done to him. His eyes were firmly fixed on God and God's reason for why he was sold as a slave, why he rose up and then was in prison. And then Pharaoh raised him up again. Well, what happens next in the story is Joseph's family, they end up coming to Egypt and with Pharaoh's blessing, they settle there. So the nation of Israel settles into Egypt and Joseph's father lives there for a while and then he dies. Well, his brothers start worrying again and they think, okay, dad's gone now. Is Joseph going to get his revenge on us now? Joseph reassures them with this in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What an amazing statement of faith. Saying, I know you sold me into slavery, but I'm not going to take revenge on you. That was part of God's plan for me. Don't you want what Joseph has here? An unwavering conviction that God was with him in the midst of serious trials in his life, and it was all used as part of God's plan. Joseph isn't carrying around this baggage of bitterness against his brothers. He's accepted what has happened to him as part of God's plan for his life. And because he chose to continue to be faithful, to not get bitter, And just stop trying to follow God. He chose to keep pressing on with God. He was faithful as a slave and rose up. Then he was in jail. He was faithful in jail to do what God wanted him to do there. And Pharaoh raises him up to be second in command of Egypt. Now Joseph's story is over. We can see how all the twists and turns turned out to be part of God's plan for his life. Our stories aren't over yet. We're all in the middle of our life story. Some maybe in the middle, some at the beginning, some maybe towards the end. But you see, Joseph's example for us is something that all of us can follow wherever we're at in our life story. So let's take a look at how we can follow his example. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 shows us how to follow this example of trusting in the Lord. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. This verse shows us what trust in the Lord looks like. It's leaning into God's perspective, not leaning into our own perspective on life, and how we think life's going to work. I grew up in Diamond Bar, which is not too far from Ontario, and the mountains were always my bearing for where north is. I'd look at the mountains, and then I'd say, you know, never eat shredded wheat. Then I would know where, where you know, east, south, and west is. I'm still not good with directions. And so 
that was how I knew which way to go. That was my guide for finding directions, for seeing the the place that we live in a, a broader perspective to know which way was north, east, south, and west. Well, I moved to Oklahoma. There's no mountains in Oklahoma. I was lost. I was... I, I couldn't remember which way was north, east, south, or west, and, and I would get lost a lot. My sense of direction is terrible. I needed the mountains to look up to and be my guide for where to go. Trust in the Lord is God's GPS for making decisions in life. We have to look up and see God's directions for us and lean into it rather than leaning on our own understanding. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 talks about this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways and thoughts are not ours. He tells us things in the Bible like this about forgiveness. He says, Jesus was asked, how many times do we have to forgive people? They keep messing up. They keep sinning against me. How many times do I have to forgive them? He says, 70 times 7. In other words, you always keep forgiving them. Jesus forgave us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He rose three days later. And that forgiveness that he has shown us, we and gratitude for what he has done, we can forgive others for what they've done to us. And we keep forgiving them over and over and over again. God also says this about work ethic. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Anything we do can be for God's glory. And this is saying that you you don't just let small jobs go or do them half-heartedly. Do it all for the glory of God. Give it your full effort no matter what it is. These are different thoughts than our thoughts. These are different ways than our ways. And so trusting in the Lord and God's ways found in the Bible, it takes faith to do that, to lean into that instead of our own understanding. And so how do we do that? Trust in the Lord gives us the big pers- picture perspective of what we're shooting for. And then we do this by taking God seriously enough to obey him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So in all your ways acknowledge him is what we're looking at here. Trust in the Lord, it gives us God's understanding for how life really works. And we practically put that into practice by acknowledging his ways day in and day out. Another way of of saying this is uh, that the Bible says is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord simply means what's on the handout, which is taking God seriously enough to obey him. So when we hit points in our understanding that are different from God and his ways, we need to take him seriously enough to obey him. We say, okay, God, I'm exhausted. I need rest. But 
I've got a ton of work to do, and I need to do it like 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. I need to give it my full effort. You say that you're our strength and our shield in the Psalms, and that in you, if our heart trusts, you will find help from you, God. Give me strength to give my full effort in this project I'm working on. We acknowledge God's ways. We lean into it. We ask for help, and he provides it. He gives us the help. And then look at this promise that God gives us as we trust in the Lord, as we fear him, take him seriously enough to do his ways. Then we trust in the Lord by watching God straighten our paths. The end of um, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, the end says, and he will make your path straight. God's ways look crooked as we live them out. It looks sideways to forgive, like it talks about. It looks sideways to give our full effort on something that seems meaningless. But then when you look back on them, his ways look straight. My family and I, we're in in the middle of what looks like crooked paths right now. My wife's health's been poor for the last few, several weeks. She has an autoimmune disease and it's kicked up. She's in a, a big flare right now. On Sunday and Monday, I was watching her spiral more and more into not feeling well. And on Monday afternoon, we decided she needed to go to the emergency room. Now, as I was looking at the week ahead, I wasn't sure how she was going to do. One, for one, I was, I was fearful of what was going on with her. And I was looking at the week ahead and not sure just how it was all going to happen. She's headed to the ER with her mom. I'm about to pick up our kids from a friend's house. I've got a ton of work to do. And the next day I was starting my doctorate of ministry. I sat there praying with God, just crying out to him, saying, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what is going on. I'm weary over the last few weeks. And and that day, my time with God, I had read Psalm 25. And verses 1 and 2 say, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. I was feeling like I was being put to shame, trying to do what I think you want me to do, God. I said, God, please help me not to be put to shame said, I don't feel strength right now. I'm tired. I'm weary. But I will trust in you. Please give me the strength and the courage that I need to trust in you. And as I was sitting there, my phone starts buzzing. A friend heard that Gina was going into the hospital and he called to um, just say he was sorry, pray for me started getting offers to watch the kids, to just clean the house or do laundry. I I was getting so many offers to help. I had to stop and take notes on everybody that was offering to help me. And as I'm taking the notes, I just started crying. Because God was showing me that he was not going to put me to shame. He's right there with me. He's going to help me through Whatever the future has, he was showing me that he was going to uphold me with his righteous right hand, like he talks about in Isaiah 41.10. And 
he did help me to just take one step at a time this week. Asking God for help. Acknowledging him and his ways and not just what I want to do, what I feel like I, I want to do. Which was just go to sleep, honestly. Tired. Don't want to deal with this anymore. God was faithful to me as I just turned to him in my weakness, turning to him, asking for help. And he'll be faithful to any of us as we trust in him. We're all at different places in our life story. Maybe you're at a high point. That's great. Or maybe you're wondering, what is God doing right now in my life like me? Or maybe you find yourself somewhere in between. The way to make the most of wherever you find yourself in your story is to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Each week, we suggest some next steps in response to the message. And um, these are really our way of acknowledging God's ways and then trying to put them into practice like we, we talked about in the message. So, Take a look at these next steps and see if there's one that you want to put into practice this week. The first is learn God's perspective on life by reading um, the, the book of John, Acts, and Romans in the Bible. We call this reading the Bible in a jar. And you'll get a, a John gives you a history of Jesus' life, what he said, what he did. And then Acts and Romans give you a picture of the early church and its starting. It gives you a great uh, just picture of the Bible and seeing how God works. What are his perspective? What are his ways that, that he works? And then you can try to take those ways and put them into practice in your life. Take them seriously enough to see how they work out. Then another next step you might want to take today is to acknowledge God's ways in fill in the blank. Is there something God's told you specifically? He said, you know his ways about something, and you just need to put it into practice. You need to do it. And then the last next step is fill in the blank. Um, God could have said a number of things to you. What is he showing you that he wants you to acknowledge him in and put into practice? Let's pray and ask God for help in this. God, we ask for your help to um, trust in you, to acknowledge your ways, lean into you instead of ourselves and to trust that you're going to make our path straight, even when it looks crooked. We ask for your help, Lord. Help us to um, really follow Joseph's example and trust in you with whatever has happened to us, whatever is to come. We declare that we trust in you this morning, Lord. Help us to have the strength to do so. In Jesus' name. Amen.